And so I started to do some of my own research into alcohol consumption and increased breast cancer risk. And I was so shocked at what I learned because I'd never seen it before. I'd never discussed it with friends before. I'd not seen any health campaigns on it. And I will even make this point that what really shocked me was that breast cancer is the only cancer that low to moderate levels of drinking are shown to increase overall risk. So seven standard drinks a week. So a standard drink in Australia is 100 mils of red or white wine. So seven, so that's just one drink a day can increase your overall risk by up to 20%. Welcome to the Tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 186. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. You need to find a tribe. Social norms are so powerful and that's why connecting with others on the same path will keep you on track and inspire you to keep going. At Tribe Sober, we're all about community. It's a community where everyone strives for an alcohol-free lifestyle and many of our members are already thriving in their alcohol-free lives and inspiring others. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. And what I was reading forced me to question my own behaviour because I could no longer pretend that this wasn't me also. I couldn't pretend that I wasn't the person also opening a bottle of wine, you know, not at 7 o'clock in the evening with dinner, but potentially at 3 o'clock in the afternoon because I was already feeling the need to relax or unwind or take the edge off. By the time I found Tribe Sober, I had been reading blog posts and blog sites and websites. I had come across Club Soda. I had come across Hip Sobriety. Those were interesting. And I realized that there were conversations happening that benefited me, that could benefit me. And I decided there and then to start investigating. And so when I did decide to officially have my first day, my day one was the first day one. And it will be my last that's my commitment to myself. I've had a day one. 
and that's it. I'm <laughs> not going back there. But thank heavens, I came upon Tribe Sober, I think a week into quitting alcohol. And that has definitely made the difference. I would not have managed on my own. So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month and there is still a lot of work to be done to highlight the link between alcohol and breast cancer. Most people know that you shouldn't drink and drive or drink while pregnant, but a recent US study found that only 34% of the general population knew that alcohol is a risk factor for cancer. Information really is power, and we want to do our bit to get the information out there. We have done a previous podcast episode on this topic back in 2021. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, but it's definitely time to revisit this topic. So my guest this week is Catherine Elliott. Catherine has been on the podcast before, talking to us about binge drinking. I'll put a link in the show notes. Catherine and I were both heavy drinkers, and we've both had breast cancer. And we're both passionate about empowering other women with the knowledge they need about the link between alcohol and breast cancer. Knowledge which will make them think twice next time they reach for a drink. I began by asking Catherine to introduce herself. It's really beautiful to be back on the podcast for the second time. My name is Catherine Elliott. I'm based in Melbourne in the very south of Australia, for those who don't know where Australia is. I have just celebrated my 51st birthday this week, which is exciting because I always look at my 50s as going to be an an alcohol-free decade, my first alcohol-free decade in a long time, which is super exciting. I have three teenage sons, Oscar's 18, Tom is 17, and Hugo is 14, nearly 15. I've been married to my beautiful husband, Paul, for the last 21, 22 years, and I am an alcohol mindset coach, and I am nearly four and a half years alcohol-free, and I am also a breast cancer, what I call thriver rather than survivor. Awesome. Yes, I like that thriver. I think I shall adopt that. I'm also a breast cancer thriver, but we'll talk about that a bit later. So the last podcast we did together, I'm not sure if I've told you this, but it was the most downloaded podcast episode that I've ever had out of my 180 plus and we were talking about binge drinking and that's in the title so it just shows doesn't it how many people are anxious about their binge drinking and I certainly remember my binge drinking days when I would wake up and I think oh dear (laughs) no off switch but because I didn't do it every night I thought I don't really have a problem I just go over the top now and again so let's talk about binge drinking I think for a lot of people, they think, oh, binge drinking, that's for the kids when they're downing shots in their nightclubs, which maybe a a bit of that still goes on. But that's not the the biggest demographic, is it, for binge drinking? It's fascinating, I think, because I think we all start, often start binge drinking as teenagers or young adults. But 
there is a very large percentage of us that do not let go of that quite problematic, destructive pattern of drinking. And it's one that we bring throughout the seasons and phases of our life. And I know that I was one of those people. I found it very difficult to manage to moderate my binge drinking, even though I never saw myself as an alcoholic or a physically dependent drinker. What I had was a problematic binge drinking relationship from the age of probably around 15 or 16, right up until I was 46 when I decided that the only way that I was going to really be able to break this pattern of drinking was actually to embrace what it felt like to have an alcohol-free lifestyle for a while without any timeline to go back to drinking. And for me, that's where I found freedom. And with a lot of the clients that I coach, because I now specialize in this niche of professional men and women who identify as problematic binge drinkers, what I notice is we all share some quite similar traits, which is often that we've started our binge drinking in our teenage or young adult years. And often during that time, we've been celebrated a bit for being good, big binge drinkers and that we've lived in cultures that have really enabled and celebrated binge drinking as well. So you don't really even question it as a problem because it's a rite of passage. It's something that a lot of other people around you are doing and it's really only in your own mind that you've really been in this kind of negative spiral often asking yourself questions about your drinking and wondering if it is a problem or if there is something that you can do and I know for me I never saw anything out in the in the public domain or I never read a, an article or a story or anything that really spoke to me about the type of drinker that I was and when I would bring it up sometimes with friends they would always say to me oh no you're fine you're you're healthy you do lots of exercise you have big nights every now and again but that's not a problem and now what I know to be really true is that a problem for an individual is very unique and it's about how we feel and it's not necessarily about the number of drinks you're having or how regular you're drinking. It's actually about the impact that drinking is having on your life. And for each and every one of us, that's quite different. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Absolutely. Yeah. And talking about the number of drinks, I think another misconception in the public domain is that binge drinking is 15 tequilas in that nightclub I mentioned. But it's far more likely to be a a 50 plus lady sitting alone at home drinking a bottle of wine, perhaps. Mm. Absolutely. And I don't think people even know what the definition of binge drinking is, or they think that binge drinking as you said, is is something so excessive, as you say, tequila shots when you're 21, when actually the definition of binge drinking here in Australia for women is four standard drinks or more in one occasion, and for men it's five. 
And when you think about that, for a lot of people, they're probably binge drinking at binge drinking levels, which is really quite dangerous for our health. They probably don't even realise that they are. But I find the association for me that it's easier for binge drink drinkers is more a psychological profile, which is one of drinking drinking quickly, not having an off switch, often blacking out when they drink and not having really had been able to get control of it over over many years. That's how I look at the profile of the type of drinker that I was and that was very much it. And not knowing when I started to work to put little rules in place with my drinking, none of them ever really worked because no. I taught myself to drink in a way that as soon as I had alcohol in my body, the response was always to get more and it was hard to keep that under control. Yeah, that's so true, Catherine. However hard we try, if we are binge drinkers, if we don't have that off switch, it's hopeless, isn't it? Once we've had one, two glasses, that, that's it. The, the bets are off, really. And off we go again. That's why I don't think willpower works. We have to start seeing alcohol differently if we want to change our habits. It, it won't really work until we stop seeing alcohol as something desirable. And that takes work. And I'm sure that's what you, you do in your coaching. My guest last week, she described trying to stop drinking with willpower. Uh, she gave me this really nice analogy. She said, it's like swimming underwater. You can hold your breath and you can do it for a while, but there's no way it's sustainable. And I think it's exactly the same. So you and I are both breast cancer thrivers and we were both heavy drinkers and obviously now I'm very much aware and it's very much in the public domain, I think, that there is a link. It's seven different types of cancer, isn't it? And especially breast cancer with the estrogen levels raised when we drink. But I was diagnosed back in 2006 and I had no idea that there was any link between heavy drinking and breast cancer. I can't remember when you were diagnosed, but did you know? No. I had no idea. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer literally six weeks after I decided to have a break from drinking. So it came That's very right. early on in the experience. And I guess what came through to me initially with the diagnosis was what in my lifestyle could have contributed to this diagnosis? Because I was very much open to learning and exploring and changing. Uh, and the question came up very quickly for me around my drinking because I knew that it had been out of balance and that I'd questioned it. And so I started to do some of my own research into alcohol consumption and increased breast cancer risk. And I was so shocked at what I learned because I'd never seen it before. I'd never discussed it with friends before. I'd not seen any health campaigns on it. And I will make, even make this point that what really shocked me was that breast cancer is the only cancer that low to moderate levels of drinking are shown to increase overall risk. So 
seven standard drinks a week. So a standard drink in Australia is 100 mils of red or white wine. So seven, so that's one drink a day can increase your overall risk by up to 20%. So when I started to do this research and, and, and started to look at it, I really felt like I had a responsibility to mm. to share my experience but also to get out there and promote awareness around alcohol consumption and increased breast cancer risk because, in my opinion, no one else was doing it. The breast cancer charities weren't doing it. There, I had seen some campaigns around cancer and alcohol and breast was included as part of that. And then it was really, it was uncanny, the timing. I actually found this wonderful campaign that had come out of America called Drink Less for Your Breasts, a fabulous campaign. I used a lot of the information from there. There were a lot of studies there that had been done over many years that showed increased risk. And one of the things that was interesting in the information that I read there was around binge drinking in your sort of young adult life. And they were starting to do some research on the impact of binge drinking in your young adult life between when you had your period and when you had your first baby or became pregnant, if you did have children, whether or not there was a correlation with breast cancer later in life. And there some of the findings from the initial research was that they were starting to see a pattern between excessive or binge drinking habits in in this sort of earlier part of your life and then the effect that it may have on breast cancer down the track. So again, that really resonated for me when I looked at my own patterns of drinking and also I had very high levels of estrogen readings in my breast cancer and Alcohol increases the readings of increases the circulating estrogen in our bloodstream. So, again, I thought, hmm, okay, some of this is really starting to make sense for me in terms of I look. I don't know whether it, it caused my breast cancer. It, it of course there's always there's always questions, but for me it felt very empowering to think here is a lifestyle factor that I really have not had under control for. 30 plus years, I've recently decided to change my whole approach to it and I have taken it out of my life. And it felt incredible that I had made that decision just before I got the breast cancer diagnosis. And then I was like, I'm going to keep going down this path because I'm sure that will overall make me feel more confident about my treatment, managing all of that, and then managing my health once I had got through the cancer. Yes, yes, you're so right. My, mine was also estrogen-driven uh, breast cancer. But I, I like what you say about it empower, empowers us because there's something quite frightening about cancer, isn't there? You just sit there healthy and in my case, I just went for a routine checkup and I was in hospital having a mastectomy the next day. So it's it's very frightening and you feel like you're not in control at all. So the fact that we can do something about our lifestyle that may help, it, it is empowering. And I remember our last conversation, we talked about how you and I, we both 
quite into our health and we we eat organic and we do our exercise, we do yoga, but we still drink like fish. That's very common. <laughs> I always think of it as joining up the dots. It's that last thing, isn't it? We just don't want to let go of that. I remember thinking, oh, I'm pretty healthy. Surely I can have a glass of wine in the evening, which of course turned into a bottle. It's nice that we can at least control it. And obviously we can't guarantee that we'll never have a recurrence. But I must say, when I go for my annual mammograms now, I sit there and I'm nervous like we always are. But contrasting to previous times when I was still drinking, I think to myself, I'm doing everything I can. I'm not going to be plagued with guilt as well as whatever else if I do have a recurrence. So we're, we're taking control in as much as we can. Yes, absolutely. And alcohol really is one of those modifiable factors yeah. where we know we can reduce a risk of recurrence or a risk of breast cancer by drinking less or not at all. And I feel like that's actually, that feels good that we have that. And there's obviously exercise and diet and other things as well that we have some control over. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I was interested to discover on LinkedIn recently that you're going into workplaces, running seminars for leaders and employees to help them understand how alcohol impacts their emotional, mental and physical health. I just think that's a, such a great idea. Please tell us more. Yeah, thank you. This has been something that I, has been on my mind for a, I, probably about the last six or 12 months. I was loving the impact that I was having with my one-on-one -on -one clients, but what I could see through the work that I was doing with high-functioning professional men and women was that a lot of their alcohol issue had either been enabled through the, the workplace or had been completely ignored. <laughs> and so I thought to myself, there's a real opportunity here to go into workplaces and approach the topic of alcohol not in a alcohol police type way but bring it in around a, co a conversation about wellness, mental health, productivity and so I thought this is another arm to my business that I thought could be really good and I've partnered with another coach in Sydney and we do some work together and then I also do some work on my own. One of the webinars that I did during dry July was titled Raise Your Glass to Better Health, Small Changes, Big Impact. So it's really around educating through workplace about how alcohol impacts the brain and the body and our sleep and mental health. Also, giving people information to understand standard drinks, what they are, a bit of some information about binge drinking as well. And then there's also some practical tips and tools around mindful drinking techniques, the benefits of taking a break from alcohol. Have you considered maybe even during the working week to, to take a break from drinking Sunday through to Thursday to see how that then might impact your productivity. I obviously also share my own personal story as well. And I think it's one that a lot of people can relate to because it's not about 
a rock bottom rehab drinker and there's nothing wrong with being a rock bottom rehab drinker but there are a lot of people who are in that sort of that gray area who don't identify Mm. with that type of story and they're wondering do I have a problem is there something I can do and so I found that I'll often get feedback after these uh, workshops or webinars where people will be oh what I really loved was that I felt really connected to your personal experience with drinking and it's really made me start to think about my own drinking habits yeah it'll be interesting to see how they go it, it I'm really tying them in as well with topical times of the year. So I've got another one that I'm um, promoting now in the lead up to the festive season, which is Sip Smart, a a healthier approach to the festive season. So reminding people about behaviour, being more inclusive, catering to those who don't drink as much. And I think also just reminding people that it's a very busy time of year And if you don't make a plan beforehand to drink less or to monitor your drinking, you often find that things really get out of control pretty quickly and you can end up feeling uh, pretty depleted by the time you reach Christmas. Yeah, it's a very busy time, isn't it, for most companies and I, I was always, my professional career was was always in corporates and always in the work hard, play hard culture. And certainly Christmas, there was always a big party wherever I worked. And maybe it was just me. Maybe I was laser focused, but I can't remember there being alternatives to alcohol. That was just almost the purpose of it. And there have been some cases, haven't there? Uh, I can't actually remember an individual case now, but there have been cases against the workplace where maybe an employee has driven home afterwards. I think that was the case that I'm thinking of. So I would have thought the message can get through to senior management as well that probably drink too much anyway themselves. But yeah, I think couching it in the general wellness uh, world is a good idea. You can't just run a workshop in a corporate, have you got a drinking problem? (laughs) It has to be couched in education about wellness these are the pillars maybe of wellness and alcohol is one of them so well done you I think that's a great idea I must tell you a story actually about when I was running physical workshops before the pandemic a a guy turned up to one of the early ones and he sat there through the thing and he was very interested and at the end he said oh I really want to do this but He said, it's hopeless because I work for a bank and the culture, the drinking culture is so entrenched. I can't imagine it's ever going to change. So I got to know him a little bit better because I coached him. And it turned out that this bank was a small boutique bank and he was the boss. So I said, oh, that's rather interesting. Why don't you just try? Because he had this culture that at four o'clock every day, the bar would open. They had a a bar in the bank and everybody would pile in. So we got him to think about his personal influence and he think quit completely and just experimented to see what would happen. And it was so funny. He told me that, first of all, the bar bill had completely plummeted 
And he worked out that he was actually the ringleader in the whole thing. He was setting the culture and the employees were thinking, oh, hang around, have some drinks with him or it might affect my promotion (laughs) prospects. That just shows, doesn't it, the influence that senior people have. They are the ones that have really got to listen to this as well as everybody else. Oh, that's such a great point that you make. And another one of kind of the topics of webinars that we have is around leadership, showing leadership um, around the use of alcohol in the workplace because often younger workers will look to their managers for permission as to what is okay behaviour. And if they see their managers drinking a lot and behaving in a way that isn't fantastic or they do get very drunk at work functions, they then see that as being okay and that's accepted in their workplace. And so I think, again, it is about leaders taking a stand and also realising that there are a number of people now, for whatever reason, who choose not to drink at work functions and that you need to cater for a diverse range of choices and that it can't just be about the boozy club at work. It actually has to be around creating an environment where everyone feels included and accepted and that you need to have a range of different activities and things that people can feel that they can get involved in because unfortunately if you're not a big drinker and everything is focused on drinking people leave pretty quickly or don't feel like they're they can really be part of a a work culture and I know in Australia that there has been a real problem with boozy work cultures. It's been just the go-to. That's what you do and it has never really been overly questioned but it's starting to be questioned now and that's why I think coming in at this level of talking about it in more of a wellness conversation and a mental health conversation as well and a conversation around anxiety and sleep because there are a lot of people who sleep becomes incredibly important to them and they have really have no idea about the impact that alcohol has on their quality of sleep which over a lifetime can take years off your life and also create issues with your health as well if you're not getting good quality sleep you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah. That fact about it being entrenched in the culture, I remember years ago, quite early on in my career, I worked at the BBC and I wasn't a big drinker in those days. And I remember my boss taking me aside one day and saying, we don't see you in the club very often, Janet. You know, make an effort to go down there because that's where you're going to meet journalists and other influential people that will help in your career and you should know these people. I took him seriously, so I used to go down there and it was just a bar. There was nothing else. There were no soft drinks and it was a real heavy drinking place. And I think, wow, that really planted the seed that if you want to get on in your career, then you have to drink, be with the drinkers. And there was, and as I progressed through my career, 
I remember there would be always be a weekly session where some colleagues would go out for drinks. And if you didn't join in those sessions, you were written off as boring, really. So all that's really got to change. It's so unfair, isn't it? People that just want to work hard and do well, why should they have to turn themselves into alcoholics over the years? It's madness. Exactly. And I know myself that I used to think that people who didn't drink were weird. (laughs) They weren't fun. They were boring. And, yeah, even getting back into that, into the psychology of what I used to think. And now I can see it was because it was actually quite triggering for me that I didn't actually feel that I could relate to people who weren't drinking because I was so focused on wanting to always drink a lot and find other people who would enable and encourage that behaviour because when you've got other people in your sphere who aren't behaving in that way, it's actually a reminder that no, not everyone drinks like this. Yeah, and we do like to convince ourselves, don't we, that everybody drinks too much. It's not just me. It's the denial. Bearing in mind that a lot of senior executives drink a lot and they've been drinking for decades, I just wondered for you pitching these talks, whether it was a hard sell, how difficult is it for you to convince people that they need to listen? It's interesting. I've been going in to corporates via culture type managers or HR managers. And so, Generally, they have been open to hearing about the, the program or the, or the webinar, um, and particularly because I've tied it in with topical times of year, so whether it might be dry July or coming up to the festive season or mental health week. So I actually haven't found it a hard sell. What is interesting is that they don't want you coming in and telling people what to do or telling people that they're problematic drinkers or about quitting drinking. It's very much about keeping the conversation open and accessible. And I agree with that because otherwise people shut their minds to it. They don't want to be going into a webinar where they think they're going to be told that they have a drinking problem. I very much tailor even the language that I use and what I talk about to make sure that people feel that they can take something out of it. Because even people who are not problematic drinkers can take something out of this, mm. knowing that alcohol is a it's a poison, it's ethanol. A lot of people forget about that. I've had a number of people come up to me after seminars and said, oh, I really had no idea about what alcohol really was. And now that I know I'm going to think a little bit more about how much I drink or don't drink. And I think this is the thing. We have not been given enough education around alcohol and it's just become so socially acceptable. If alcohol was being put together now as an application to to be approved by the FDA or whatever, (laughs) no way would it get get through. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I always think that your point about education is such a valid one there. 
and the social norms are huge to drink as well. But I often think if we don't listen to these facts, if we don't have any education, and as you say, people come up to you and they say, I had no idea, I have that as well. If we don't go down the education route, then we are educated by the liquor industries, aren't we, who are telling us via their marketing how wonderful alcohol is and how we can't possibly have a happy life without it. And every time we watch a movie, there they are drinking their whiskey or their wines, the subliminal thing. It's everything. So somehow, and it's a big job, I'm not sure you and I can do it alone, but we have to counter that and educate people just so people know. We all hear, don't we, about hard drugs and how dreadful they are and even the heartbreaking opiate crisis, etc. But there's so many more people that die. I think it's three million a year, isn't it, die of alcohol-related causes. And we're not educated, are we? It should really start at school, shouldn't it? Yeah, I really believe it should. And when I look at my kids' education, I feel like there's such a long way to go. There's so many basic human things that they're not taught that we should be putting focus on even emotional development how you communicate yeah. with, with people understanding your emotions and what they feel like and being able to be present in those when really alcohol obviously also numbs out a whole lot of feelings and so a lot of us going through life and not able to be present the human experience of emotions and then when we realize that we want to have a break from drinking or step away from it completely we then have to do a huge amount of work on learning what it feels like to just sit in emotions and what they feel like not only the thoughts but it's actually what they feel like in the body and being prepared to move breathe through them and for me, it's been one of the most challenging but also one of the most joyful experiences of an alcohol-free life is that I have a much greater understanding of my emotional, I guess, of all my emotions, things that mm. I'd never felt before. And so yeah. it feels like I know myself a lot better now and that I give myself permission to feel things that I never did in the past. Yeah, because if we start drinking as teenagers like we did, our emotional maturity stalls really, doesn't it? Because we're not feeling all those emotions. So when we quit, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's when we grow and start feeling the feelings and realising that if we start, it's okay. We don't have to dive into a bottle of wine. And that takes some time. And it is one of the, the most difficult parts. I remember I used to burst into tears at the drop of a hat in my early sobriety. <laughs> it was just like, oh, what am I crying for? I know it's so funny I still cry a lot but I feel like it's become it's just a release thing whether it's happiness or sadness or overwhelm it's really funny because we've got a public holiday tomorrow in Melbourne because it's grand AFL grand final day on Saturday which is like a, a big sporting day and so tonight is the big sort of night where people will be drinking a lot because there's a public holiday tomorrow, then the grand final on Saturday. And I was just thinking in the past when I was drinking, gosh, I would have had something big planned for tonight. Whereas 
before we hopped on to this call, I thought to myself, oh, great, I've got Janet next. Afterwards, I'm going to make some dinner, have a cup of tea, and I'm going to hop into bed and read or watch something. And that just feels so good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So talk to me about your boys. There you are with your three teenage boys coming up to the age where (laughs) you and I were were learning how to drink. What's Mm. the dialogue like with them? They they understand your work, I'm sure. Yeah, they absolutely do. And so I have an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old both who experiment and use alcohol. And I have tried to be very considered with the way that I have approached the conversations that I have with them because they are there having their own experience and the best way that I can help them is to role model myself and that they know my own story because it's not going to stop them from experimenting with alcohol. One of my sons I would say is quite a binge drinker. He also has ADHD and so there's a correlation. He finds it very hard to regulate his drinking once he starts. And then my other son doesn't really enjoy drinking a lot or over drinking. So it's really interesting just to see the choices that they're making. And, you know, I just try and support them as much as they can. I try and give them as much information without sounding like I'm lecturing because they know that for 30 years of my life, I was a big drinker or a binge drinker and it was at 46 that I really made the the choice that I did so I guess they're, they're on their own sort of experience but I really I really hope for for all of my children that they are able to have a relationship with alcohol that isn't similar to the one that I had because I know it really held me back in my life for a long period of time and didn't enable me to dream and to achieve the things that I really wanted to. It kept me stuck in a pattern of living and life that, honestly, it was difficult for me. Yeah, it does keep us stuck. I think that's uh, that's a perfect description. Yeah, so in your house, there's a dialogue about alcohol, and it's, it's a topic that's discussed openly, which is great, and they'll be able to talk to you about it and get help if they want some ad- advice. And that's what you're doing in corporates as well, isn't it, Catherine? You're starting a dialogue. And I remember I used to do a lot of team building in corporates, and, and we'd have these uh, different team roles, and you'd listen to the people talking at a later date, and you'd realise that the this concept had sunk into the corporate consciousness, if that's the right word. So people were using this word, his team role is this, and that's why that works so well. So if you can get this dialogue going, then it's so valuable. And and you're planting seeds. These people that come to you and say, I didn't even know it was ethanol, because people don't. Why would you know that? Because the the liquor industry certainly isn't going to tell you. You're Drinking buddies aren't going to tell you because they don't know either. So, yeah, I think it's great, the the advice that you're giving to corporates. I interviewed someone quite a long time ago that was, he was a, an ex-drinker himself, and he was going into corporates and talking a little bit about drinking, but recommending alternatives. And he used to run mindfulness sessions and meditation sessions. And I just wondered, are you recommending alternatives to drinking? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yes, we absolutely 
We absolutely are. But normally in, in these webinars that we're doing, we're trying to keep it very accessible to a, a big range of a spectrum. And so a lot of the initial things that we talk about are more mindful drinking techniques and very practical tools and tips that you can use when you go out socially and what that might look like and what you may need. Because I think for a lot of people, it's very overwhelming even to go into a social situation for probably the first time in their adult life if they're going to tackle that without alcohol. There's a huge amount of anxiety. There's a huge amount of, I guess, of worry about what people might say to you if you're not drinking as well. Will you get ridiculed? And then will you feel like you you actually can't be there? We actually talk to a lot of pre-planning and things that might work if you are in these situations and you need to have some quick sort of positive one-liners that really show that you feel confident with the choice that you've made and what you're doing. And I think one of the most important things here is that we're often on these kind of subconscious programs in life where we're just responding without even pausing and taking any consideration of how we could respond in a different way. And it's even that sort of five-second pause thinking, is there another way, is there another choice that I can make here than the one that I always make? Yeah, it becomes automatic, doesn't it, to drink? And that's why so many of us get into trouble. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. So your webinars are online. I was just wondering if there's a, an HR director listening to this in South Africa or in London or in America. Can they contact you and access that webinar and show it to their employees? How does it work? Yes, absolutely. The webinars that we've been doing have been specifically tailored to certain companies. And so we've been going in and doing them live to their employees. But we are considering also putting together webinars that people can actually purchase and then use for their employees. But of course, I have clients all over the world. So I'm always up in different time zones and so can be available to do webinars for people internationally and, and have done so. Yeah, I think because I was an HR director and we always, we often used to show training videos on management skills or something and we'd have a group of managers and we'd show a video and then we'd have a discussion or some role plays or something around that. So I think if something like your seminar was available as a recording that corporates could buy like a training video, I think that would be really popular and it would start the dialogue and that's what you want to do, isn't it? Start the dialogue in in a non-threatening way. When I think back to these training videos, we used to have, there was a British guy, a comedian called John Cleese. Do you know him? Faulty Tower. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, he was so funny. He's so funny. Yeah. And he, 
he used to play in these training videos. So they'd make a drama of some events, maybe a manager with terrible management skills, and then they could analyse afterwards what he did wrong. So maybe a, a dramatised version of a workplace culture, a party would, would be quite fun. There you go, Catherine. You and I can be stars of it, okay? We can rewind to our corporate lives. <laughs> So let's finish off by talking about you a bit. I hope that people will listen to our previous podcast episode to get your full story. But let's finish with your top three benefits of your alcohol-free life, because you've been sober now, is it four years? You did mention it earlier. Four years? Yes, just over four years. It's a really interesting question, the three top benefits of alcohol-free living. First benefit for me has really been the relationship that I have with myself. Uh, I have much more trust in myself and I'm much more comfortable in my own company. And the ripple effect from that is just really incredible. I think the second one for me has been that I no longer have to waste energy on alcohol in my life. That took up so much energy. I didn't know how much it was taking, but it took up so much in my life for a long period of time. And so I'm able to put energy into so many other pursuits and projects and passions. And so in a way, my life has really expanded because I'm always looking to try and do new things and I'm not stuck in the same old pattern that I'd been stuck in. So I feel like the variety in my life and I never feel bored because I always know that I've got a choice to do something that I feel really engaged in. And then the third benefit for me about alcohol-free living is probably related to the fact that it's become my career uh, and I've been able to help others and I'm actually living a really purposeful career now and that again really lights me up so it's had a really miraculous sort of effect both personally but also professionally so I feel incredibly grateful for that choice that I made because at the time when I did it I never ever would have envisaged what it would have led to four and a half years later as I sit here now, having just turned 51. I'm just, it's incredible. And I'm very careful to say that it's not unicorns and rainbows though. It is still a life that we have challenges and pain and lots of things to deal with. But it's in those challenging moments that I'll often say to myself, I'm so glad that I'm alcohol-free because I am in a much better place overall to be able to manage the difficult times. I say to people when they're hesitating to go on this journey sometimes, I say, just try it. It's going to be tough at first. And then your life will change in ways you didn't even imagine. And that's happened to both of us, hasn't it? So, Catherine, how can people contact you, whether they want to talk to you about the corporate uh, seminars or they want some individual coaching? How, where's the best place? So, they can contact me via my website, which is thealcoholmindsetcoach.com. You can book uh, a discovery call through my website, which is probably the best place to have a chat with me. And I've also got an Instagram handle at the Alcohol Mindset Coach. And again, you can DM me through there if you want to make contact. 
Thank you so much, Catherine. It was great to catch up with you again. Let's pull out some key points. We talked about binge drinking, which many of us get into when we're teenagers, and then we keep the habit going until we're much older. For example, Catherine was a binge drinker from the age of 15 to 46. Through her work as an alcohol mindset coach, she's discovered that binge drinkers share similar traits. They often started binge drinking at an early age and they were celebrated by their peers and society for this behaviour. And their binge drinking was not really perceived as a problem. More of a rite of passage. We agreed that many people are unaware of the definition of binge drinking. They tend to think it's about the kids knocking back 15 tequila shots in a nightclub, but in reality it's more likely to be an older woman sitting at home alone, working her way through a bottle of wine. So let's be clear, the definition of a binge is four standard drinks on one occasion for a woman and five for a man. And of course, if we're binge drinking on a regular basis, our liver will not get adequate time to recover. We're just piling damage upon damage. And that's why low-risk guidelines suggest going alcohol-free for several days a week. Catherine took us through the psychological profile of a binge drinker. Tends to be a fast drinker, without an off switch, often blacking out and unable to get control of it in spite of setting rules. I certainly fit that profile. We also agreed that willpower was ineffective when trying to control binge drinking. So many of us have tried the rules. I'm only having two glasses of wine tonight, etc, etc. But once the first glass is drunk, all the bets are off. The only thing that will work is a mind shift. Working on our limiting beliefs so that we can see alcohol for the poison that it really is. Catherine and I are both breast cancer thrivers and we were equally shocked with our diagnosis. Neither of us had any idea that there was a link between alcohol and breast cancer. Catherine began to do her own research into the link and she was shocked by what she found. She was also shocked as she realised that this was never a topic of conversation with her friends, nor had she ever seen a health campaign focusing on this. She discovered that even low to moderate amounts of alcohol will increase our risk of breast cancer. For example, just three standard glasses of wine a week can increase the breast cancer risk by 15% and each additional drink can add another 10% to that risk. During her research, Catherine came across an American campaign called Drink Less for Your Breasts, which was impressive and had so much information. I'll put the link in the show notes. Their research was showing patterns Links between early binge drinking habits could show up as breast cancer later in life. Both Catherine and I had oestrogen-driven breast cancer, and alcohol certainly increases the amount of oestrogen in the system. We agreed that the lifestyle choice to be alcohol-free that we've both taken feels really empowering. We can't guarantee that we'll never get a recurrence of our cancers, but we can be confident that we're doing everything we can to avoid it.
After chatting about binge drinking and breast cancer, we moved on to our third topic, educating corporates about the health risks of alcohol. Catherine is running seminars for leaders and employees in workplaces to help them understand how alcohol impacts their emotional, mental and physical health. I think this kind of initiative is well overdue and certainly would have welcomed it during my corporate career, which involved a lot of the work hard, play hard culture. A lot of Catherine's coaching clients are executives who've had alcohol issues which have either been enabled through the workplace or had been completely ignored. So that prompted Catherine to go into workplaces and approach the topic of alcohol, bringing it into a conversation about wellness, mental health and productivity. Such a brilliant way to start an ongoing dialogue about the subject. During these talks, she gives practical tips about taking a break from alcohol as well as mindful drinking. She also shares her personal story, which a lot of people can relate to. Catherine's currently promoting a Sip Smart campaign for the festive season, so do contact her if you think your workplace could benefit from this. And of course, workplaces are getting more diverse, which means a lot of employees don't drink. So events need to be inclusive and offer a wide range of non-alcoholic drinks. I asked Catherine whether it had been a hard sell to convince companies to let their staff watch her talks and webinars. And she explained that so long as she's not telling people they drink too much or that they must give up, then the management are quite comfortable with her just sharing useful information. And indeed, a lot of the people she talks to have no idea how harmful alcohol is. That's something I find when we do our masterclasses as well. We talked about the influence of leaders to role model sensible drinking to their employees. I shared the story of a leader from Tribe Sober. Nick was a big drinker himself, but when he quit drinking, the culture of the whole company changed. You can hear Nick's story on episode two of the Tribe Sober podcast. I'll put the link in the show notes. So we ended our conversation with Catherine's top three benefits of being alcohol free. Number one, better connection with herself. Number two, more energy now that she's free from worrying about alcohol. And number three, living a purposeful career as she helps others to change their relationship with alcohol. So to contact Catherine about her corporate work or individual coaching, her website is thealcoholmindsetcoach.com or you can DM her on Instagram. She's at alcoholmindsetcoach. So let me finish by reading out a couple of messages from one of our chat rooms. The first thing I picked up from the chat room was that three of our members are celebrating their first alcohol-free year. We had Aileen, Kathleen and Sean all reaching their first Soberversary. Well done, ladies. Soberversaries are a time of great joy, but they can be tricky as well. Here's a message from Anna. With dismay, I drank two glasses of wine tonight. Three days short of one year. I feel dismayed and cross with myself. I am dealing with huge hurt and betrayal. No excuse, I know, but I felt so overwhelmed. Bloody hell. 
Why, why, why? I've been so strong and dedicated. I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. So annoyed with myself and angry at my situation at the same time. At least I'm safe at home with no one else around. No one else to witness my downfall. I'm feeling very sad. That message came in at 11 o'clock at night, but there were still plenty of tribe members around to comfort Anna. First one came in from Jax. You've reached out and that's the most important step, as we all know. Draw a line under the slip and continue to celebrate your incredible accomplishment of a year of sobriety. It's not the end. You're still on your journey. Have a nice bath and call it a night. And then we had Sarah who said, Milestones are often a wobbly time. You're not alone in this feeling. Coming up to one year probably has a lot to do with it. Don't beat yourself up about it, Anna. Think of all the time you've got under your belt and what progress that is. Be super kind to yourself now. Put yourself to bed and tomorrow morning, maybe some journaling to unpack and investigate why it happened and how to navigate if those feelings come up again. And here's just one more I've picked out of many messages from Trish in Australia. Beautiful Anna, forgive yourself now and move on to year two of sobriety with pride and love for the amazing woman you are and the huge effort it takes to get this far. A small blip has happened. You've learnt that a year ago you made the best decision of your life. That's that. Agree that anniversaries are tricky. I almost nearly caved when I reached a year as well. Thank you for your honesty and coming here to share this with us. You are brilliant. So all that love and support certainly hit the spot. Next morning, we have a message from Anna. Thank you to everybody for the kindness, care and love. I've put on my big girl panties this morning and I'm going forward. No going backwards, that's for sure. Such a good reminder for me why I ditched the wine in the first place. Sore head and terrible anxiety this morning. Love my tribe. You're my rock. So if you're ready to give the Tribe Sober community a chance to be your rock, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards. And that's just for starters. So go to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.